Well, I don't know when these 110 degree plus days are going to end, but what I do know is that we're less than one week away, July 31st to be exact, until the Sun Devils kick off their 2023 fall camp under first-year head coach Kenny Dillingham. There's been a lot of energy and anticipation for the upcoming season, and as much as you hear and read my perspective on the Sun Devils, I always like to share outside perspectives with ASU fans about the team. So on today's podcast, we're joined by Pac-12 Network's football analyst Yogi Roth, who was there at the conference media day in Las Vegas last week, talking to Dillingham as well as tight end Jalen Conyers and defensive back Jordan Clark. So I'm curious to hear his perspective on ASU after visiting with those three individuals. And we're definitely also going to examine the macro picture of the league in the last year where the LA schools are going to be part of the Pac-12 and get his thoughts on some of the storylines he anticipates unfolding this year. So thank you so much for tuning in. Let's get this thing started. Welcome to the Devil's Junkies podcast. I'm your host and devilsdigest.com publisher, Hoda Rubino. And while this may be a young tradition in our podcast history, having our following guests, it's definitely a tradition that I hope continues to grow. Because if I need to turn to someone who can give us an insightful snapshot of the Pac-12, as well as his own perspective on Arizona State, there's only one person I'm hitting up, and that's Pac-12 Network football analyst Yogi Roth. Yogi, thank you so much for joining. How you been? I'm I'm great, man. I, I love... I feel like every year at Media Days, we're like each other's first person that we see or something like that. <laughs> and uh, I, that happens to me, whether we're at Sun Devil Stadium or at a road game. So I always appreciate just your energy, your smile, um, and obviously your content. I'm consuming that all year long. And <laughs> and honestly, you guys do as good of a job as anybody I that I that I track in the country off season. I appreciate the work that you're doing, man. And I'm, I'm one of, I'm sure, thousands, if not millions <laughs> that, that would that, that would nod their head at that. Thank you, thank you so much for the kind words. Um, you know, you, you talked about Pac-12 Media Day. Before we get to the meat and potatoes of our uh, podcast, uh, I'm just curious. Uh, how'd you like the new format? I thought you and Ashley Adamson did a great job moderating. You know, I like the new vibe that Vegas uh, provides. Even though I know you're an LA guy uh, through and through, uh, just give me your impressions of uh, you know what you thought about this new format. Yeah, well, I want to hear yours first. Like. You know, you, I've never been in that room because we've always been on a TV set outside or somewhere different. What, what what did you think? Yeah, I mean, I thought that Resorts World was uh, a really fun and hip uh, resort. I mean, obviously in Vegas, you get like a wide palette of resorts. And sure, it's not the Bellagio or Caesars, you know, and maybe also not New York, New York and Paris and all the elements that really define those places. But I thought it was uh, a real nice venue, uh, you know, maybe kind of the upstairs, downstairs a little uh, got, got got a little old. But um, I just thought that it was great that uh, we had the moderation panel of you and Ashley uh, talking to the coach and then talking to the two player representatives. And then we had, I think, not one, but two opportunities to talk to them like in the uh, media scrum. So um, it really kind of offered a, a little bit of anything of everything for uh, the media writer, the media, I'm sorry, beat writers that were there. So I think it was a, a really nice format. Again, I'm really happy uh, that it moved to Vegas. No, no offense to L.A., but it's such an easy uh, in and out uh, to get there. So uh, I really, I really enjoyed the format, and I think the fans that uh, saw the content also enjoyed it too. That's cool. Yeah, it, you know, I think walking in, I didn't know how it would go. You know, I knew the convos would be fine, but mm-hmm. the whole idea of media day is to serve the media, and then, but in my previous decade or so, it's been to serve our network as well, like with an entertainment show. Yeah. And this didn't have 
you know, a lot of the elements of entertainment, even though it was on television, because you didn't have B-roll, you didn't have the playfulness that you normally have on set. But I did think that when I walked out of there and kind of let it sink in for a day or two, I was like, yeah, this is really fun. <laughs> you know, and and I think from the bunch of the media that I've talked to, like yourself, I think what Ashley is great at, and I was I was happy to be a part of, is when there weren't any questions, like you were able to keep the dialogue going, whether it was with, you know, Kenny Dillingham or Jed Fish or, you know, you can go like Troy Taylor had more than, you know, traditional or Justin Wilcox, like somewhere like in the afternoon session where who knows where the rest of the media was, you know, everybody's doing a bunch of stuff. Um, I kind of enjoyed that. I think the media enjoyed that too, especially with the student athletes of being able to highlight them. I think I wish I was able to like talk to Lincoln Riley more on television in the preseason, but I got his first two games. Like I'm going to get all that. So I think I kind of worked it out in real time of, I missed like the TV show and the energy that you bring to that, but was really proud and honored to have the role that I had along with Ash. So um, who knows what it'll be like next year, but uh, it was fun. And I think I walked away feeling better than I probably could have anticipated because I'd never done that format before. Awesome. So let's talk about what took place during media day. And I'll go first of all, to the micro view. You talked to Kenny Dillingham, Jalen Conyers, Jordan Clark. Um, what are the impressions that, that you really, uh, you know, came away with? And um, I got, I don't want to like really harp too much on what happened in 2022, but I got to feel that you talking to the coach and two representatives last year compared to this year, it was like a, a total different vibe. I would have to think. Yeah. I'd say really the last two years compared to this year. Cause you remember like it was two years ago. I remember being in LA and, you know, talking to Herm about his team and, you know, everything kind of was going on around, you know, the NCAA, mm -hmm. you know, this is heading into the 21 season. And it was kind of like backs against the world. Like it was kind of like, they were like, all right, we're, we're good. We're good. We're good. And then, Last year was 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 different, but everybody's still a pro. But the thing kind of you know got a little haywire early on in the season, as we all know. Mm -hmm. So I think for this, it was it was exactly what media was supposed to do, supposed to be. Like nobody wants a media day where there's already negativity around a program when you haven't played a snap. And I think that was a narrative that we've seen teams have to fight. Whether it was black back at SC with Clay Helton, mm -hmm. whether it's been times at UCLA coming off of you know a season that maybe the fans didn't like or arizona state mm -hmm. you know, 2020 i i still believe this man that if that's a normal season you know they were the team i picked to win the league mm -hmm. you know like they they had the talent they had built it so it just had been a couple years of god we're fighting like some some negative convos and dialogue so you know me i'm trying to like highlight the players and personalities mm -hmm. so i think this year you'd have to try that hard to do that right yeah. you had players in the, the two that you just referenced and personalities with those two. And then of course their head coach and Kenny Dillingham. So it was, it was easy. You know, it was kind of like for a lot of these head coaches and, and I would say 12 for 12 for most media members, like, and you know, this cause you do it. Uh, you could survive without preparing because they can all carry the show. You know, they're all personalities. You get good stuff if you do prepare and ask thoughtful questions. But I, I, I really enjoyed it knowing Jordan for years now. Um, I remember when he came in as a freshman, and talk to him, you know, in advance of so many games and spring games and watching him blossom. And then even when, when Jalen got on campus, it was like, got to know him. We call it, I think, his first game of his career there. And then to watch his personality blossom with his podcast, with obviously playing in, in the Colorado game. You just go to that last year. But really, like, we're looking at a guy become, 
you know, one of the faces of, of a program in a year with a ton of optimism in a city that is really fun with a head coach that I'm a huge fan of. He reminds me a lot of like when I was on the SC staff and Sark kicked out to UW. I think he was 32 or 33 at the time, like super young, a lot of energy and everybody got behind it and a lot of, you know, first time excitement for, for him doing it the first time and, and the team felt it. So I was, I was all about it, you know, and, and I, so much so I just got a phone with my boss earlier today at the Pac-12 network and I, I close, but I was like, Hey, I got, I got to get to camp. I got an idea, <laughs> you know, <laughs> start creating content. And who knows if, if, you know, with all the talented teams and returning quarterbacks, Arizona state, isn't like the first team that you pitch an idea about because you got six quarterbacks that all think they're going to end up in New York city. Sure. And uh, it was fun to, to pitch him the idea and, and hopefully it gets greenlit and we go. Yeah. So, yeah, I was going to ask you about the personality of uh, dealing. Yeah, you kind of stole my thunder over there, but that's fine. Because I'm really wondering, you know, during your uh, years under the Pete Carroll staff in SC, was there one coach that really reminded you of Dillingham, but you gave me your answer, Sark. But let's just talk your um, X's and O's. You obviously uh, saw what uh, Kenny Dillingham did with the Oregon offense. I know talking to beat writers in Eugene, they feel like he finally revived the glory days of Oregon. And they're uh, really uh, neck neck break pace offense. Um, just from that perspective, what do you think Kenny Dillingham, even though he's technically not calling the plays here in Tempe, but w- what do you like about his offensive philosophy? You think it translates so well to Arizona State? It's a great question. I think, and I kind of did this study in advance of media days. Uh, somebody in the media asked, it might have been you, um, but you look at like him taking a true CEO approach to this thing. So I went back to like just this league and you can go beyond this league. First time head coaches, Jed Fish, Lincoln Riley, Troy Taylor, Chip Kelly, offensive minded guys. None of them have ever given up play calling to this day. So I just think to be that young and, and your calling card, what got you the job, what got you the interview is what you referenced, the Oregon offense. What got him the job was crushing the interview, right? And and all of the unique ties and the timeliness of, college football with what it needs and what he provides. I'm just, I'm just really impressed because I, I've talked to enough and I'm sure you have two first time head coaches and they all say the same thing after the first year, which is, man, I was, I, I was too in the minutia. I was too controlling. Um, I got to let some, some things go. It's like, he's been in those meetings before and he's worked with first time head coaches and Mike Norvell and of course, Dan Lanning. Uh, I think he, he took from those experiences really believed in it. I think everybody knows those things going in, but to really go forward and say, okay, my one shot, my one shot to be the guy, I'm going to give it up. And and I love that because he's given up to a guy who's, as he said, he's called more games in college football than he has as a coordinator or as a head coach, of course. And Bo yeah. Baldwin, he's won more games as a head coach. And and I'm a huge Bo fan. He has, has been incredible to me when he was at Eastern Washington. I'd go visit him or at Cal um, I haven't stayed connected with him since he went to Cal Poly, but so pumped to have him back in the league. Like this offense will be just fine. Uh, so schematically, philosophically, I think you're going to see a combination. These are both high scoring offenses. They're not going to play conservative. That is not his personality. You learned that last year as a coordinator. And I think they're going to move the ball. And, and I know fans of your site, my fans on your site may not like this comparison, but I'm going to do it anyway, because I think it's appropriate. What Jed Fish did at Arizona is what I think Kenny Dillingham will do at ASU. And here's what he'll do. He'll start with offense. 
because and, and Jed said this at media days and he told me this in private, even, you know, when he got the job and after his first few years of if we didn't score, it wouldn't be an attractive place to play. So let me just throw Iowa and the Big Ten under the bus here for a second. Like you look <laughs> at that place and you say, all right, whatever it is, 20 points a game. If you're an offensive player, you're kind of like, and I know they got Cade McNamara, who I love, and I, I hope he just thrives all year. But most offensive players aren't saying to themselves, gosh, want to go play in that offense. It's historically bad. And most defensive players are saying, God, do I want to pitch a shutout every game? I'm saying this from like talking to players. I'm not even trying to be cute. Like yeah. that is the truth. So I look at Arizona, what Jed did. It was like, let me be around this offense. We're going to score. Year one, we were within a score in eight games heading into the fourth quarter. And they won one all year. And they had four, they had five starting quarterbacks. You know, so think about that. So now here we are at ASU. I think offense leads this thing. And I think their defense is way better. And what Arizona's was when they got there, you add in some of the transfers and additions they have and the returners. And they have a quarterback. They have competition at quarterback that is probably more talented, definitely more experienced than what Jed had Mm -hmm. year one. So if you just take those two and look at the comparison of three years from now, where Arizona is, they're a dark horse to take a real run at it. Here's ASU starting over again. I think they're going to score. So I'm, I'm philosophically, I'm, I'm all in. Uh, I can't wait for that Thursday, Thursday night game to kick off the season. And just want to touch about Angelin Khan, as you said, you know, probably one of the faces of the program. And I couldn't agree more with that. Um, you know, definitely a, a breakout season last year. And, uh, you know, I don't know if Pac-12 is really a conference known for his tight ends really being, you know, absolutely uh, offensive juggernauts, you know, compared to the wide receivers and the running backs. But, um, you know, just kind of curious, uh, what, what did you like uh, from Jalen Conyers uh, when, when you did see him last year, especially, like you mentioned, towards the end of the year, that Colorado game being a highlight uh, Arizona game, even though no loss, he, he had a great uh, performance there, too. You go back to the spring game two years ago when he started making some plays, you know, and I remember talking to him in advance of the game because he's trying to connect all the new faces. And I called that one with uh, Nigel Burton, I think. Or no, Ted Robinson, I did it because we did Arizona, Arizona State the same day. And. He, he was just a fun guy to be around, and you felt his confidence. And I do think there's something to uh, – and I learned this from Chip Kelly years ago. Get a, as many guys in your team who have played quarterback. You know, you, you go back to those Oregon teams that were thriving, a lot of their safeties, corners, running backs. Like, they were Wildcat quarterbacks in high school or what have you. And I think there's something of that for him, having played that position. Uh, I love his competitiveness and his vulnerability around it, even what he said in the recent weeks of – it was hard for him when he wasn't playing and he kind of just wanted a shot. And when he got it, he made the most of it. Even if it was against Colorado, like take that out of it. Like you have to do it in a game when the lights are on and you're already feeling pressure put on yourself. So I love that for him. What I think it's done for him for my lens is that it's, it's given an unlock of sorts into his willingness and ability to play free. And I say that as like most competitors I'm around, especially guys that transfer, they get to a new place and at their previous school, they weren't able to necessarily wholeheartedly be themselves because either they were struggling, the competition was too much, they weren't playing, off the field, whatever. And then they got to, let's just say, Oregon and their Bo Nicks, and they can compete freely. They are – I talked to Drew Pine, Arizona State. He's never had more fun in his entire life. You know, like and I'd say the same thing with Jalen here since he started playing. And I just feel his confidence at every moment, and I'd imagine his teammates do. 
When it comes to the tight end position, I, I thought this off six years ago, I felt like this position was going to make a comeback outside of Stanford because Stanford had always been a thing. And it really has. You start looking up and down the league of the tight ends, Utah, of course, being a prototypical place, Oregon being a place, Oregon State, it might be the place. You know, so I, I think there's something fun there for him because he's a guy they'll move around a lot, a lot like Brent Keithy. You know, he'll split out in the red zone, I'd imagine. They'll, they'll get creative with him, uh, Brent Keithy from Utah. So I'm 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 bullish on him uh as one of the premier players at his position in the league. And especially with the quarterback deal with Drew Pine, you look at what Oregon did last year with their tight ends with Bo Nix, you know, just just healthy completions. Um, or Trenton Borgay, like you're finding a guy that you feel good about, especially against linebackers or nickel defenders. Like they'll find their matchups that work. So even the room, Messiah Swenson, et cetera, like it's going to be fun to watch the personnel grouping. That's the first thing I will track. If I was calling the game, I'd have the guy I stand next to. Um, you always have somebody really cool for me. It's Sam Polis. I'd say this is what we're going to track in the game. And it'd be formations and personnel groupings in the first quarter. Mm-hmm. And I'd look back, okay, how many snaps? First and second down, take third down, take red zone out of it. How many different groupings? And just get an idea for who they're trying to be. Yeah. We talked so much about the offense, but let's go and talk about the defense. And I'd love to hear your perspective because obviously you, um, I got to assume you were very impressed with what Brian Ward did up there in the in the Palouse. And now Arizona State gets him. Also linebackers uh, coach uh, from the Cougars, uh, A.J. Cooper. Um, I know the bar, unfortunately, was pretty low last year when you talk about the ASU defense. Uh, but uh, what do you like about, you know, you know, Brian Ward's uh, scheme that really is defined, I think, by one word, chaos? Yeah, you can go back to study him at Syracuse or, of course, at Washington State. Um, and now here, uh, he's a premier D.C. in the country. I went up to Pullman last February to speak with the team. And this is like two years ago and, and spent some time in his office. He just gotten there. His family was just kind of moving out. But, you know, heard the name forever. And then to sit down and talk to him, he's got a, a beautiful way about him, like like certain DCs do. He's not going to be the loud guy who's going to be screaming and yelling all day long, uh, but he's going to be surgical. And he's got a tenacity and a tenaciousness that I think will rub off onto the team. And I think even the defense, like I, I thought they'd be a lot better last year. I'll be honest with you, with the players they had coming back. Uh, so I'm bullish, especially with the addition of Michael Matus coming back. I mean, he was – he was one of the most disruptive players in the league his last year playing when he was healthy. Nobody can argue that. Now, you could say that some of the defensive line last year didn't live up to what we all thought they would be. We thought that would be a strength. Um, but in this defense, with some of the transfers they have, like Prince, with Travion Brown, who can can really be dynamic, if he's going to put him in you know, that defense where guys are moving around, to your point, to use the word chaos, I think it's going to be fun. And I think guys really enjoy playing that style of defense. The challenge will be as they get into their schedule and, of course, the quarterbacks that, you know, who's going to have the chalk last, et cetera. But they give themselves a chance. Um, and I think he's – I don't think he's in any rush to get out of there. You know, like he's really excited to be there. Everybody is. Um, Arizona State has resources. Um, they've got facilities. They can recruit. I, I've said this since SC and UCLA left. If you're a Southern California kid and you want to be in a metropolitan school with warm weather year-round, there's only one option. It just is. So I think they got a lot to sell. So I, I'm I'm really excited for Arizona State. I think for this is my 20th year out here in the league. And forever, from day one, I remember going there for our first game. It was Sleeping Giant, quote unquote, <laughs> Sleeping Giant. 
and it's never really become a giant in my in the last 20 years i had a, it had a moment under todd graham where it went to a title game i think though with the relook of what this league will end up being they'll have a shot to become that and really get back to what you know the jake Plummer, everything that we always talk about when they were a giant i think i think kenny and, and crew will have a have a chance to really do it you know you talk about the la schools leaving next year again being an la guy i know it's not reality yet but that when that becomes reality in six months i mean what, what what you know what what are your thoughts about that because i got to feel like again me you know being obviously a big part of of the usc glory days you know and obviously knowing ucla in your backyard so well uh it's gonna be weird uh this time next year talking about a 10-team league and without the heli schools yeah it, it is i think i'd echo you know kind of what chip said you know chip was like the i don't i'll paraphrase his quote chip kelly on set with us or something along the lines of you know, league meant a lot to me, and I'm going to reminisce on it when it's over. Mm-hmm. Um, but he didn't gloss over it. Like, it wasn't like, can't wait to get out of here. And I think Lincoln Riley felt the same thing. Like, he came to L.A. to coach in the Pac-12. So I think all of us would agree that um, this came out of nowhere, and the style in which that it came about was, uh, you know, obviously less than classy in terms of just when it came out and how it came out. And I don't know if there's a better way or more classy way to do it, but point being – to answer your question, uh, I think I'll be okay. I think I kind of process those emotions when it happened. But I will say every time I leave SC's facility, UCLA's facility, I'm dumbfounded. I'm like, are they really going to go play in the Big Ten? And and I think it's part history, part tradition, part comfort zone, part repetitiveness for me walking out of those facilities, talking about playing Arizona State or playing Stanford or Washington or Oregon or whatever. Um but the other part of it is like, really? Like, they're going to go that far to go do that? Like, it, it just still, it, it feels real because it's real. Like, I've seen the logos on the jerseys. But it still doesn't feel right. And and I wish them the best. I mean, I'll probably be calling some of their games. So I can't wait to watch their players and their staff thrive. But I will be very curious if in a decade or even five years, how many CFP appearances those two teams have compared to the amount of CFP conference appearances the Pac-12 has? I'm not hating on them. I want them to crush it. Chip is one of my closest friends. I love I love so many people at SC. I spent four years there. I, I just talked to their team last week. Um, so I don't want to come across like I'm not rooting for them to lose. I'm rooting for them to win. Sure. But, man, it just doesn't feel like it's right. And I know it's reality. It just doesn't feel right. And I wonder what they'll say it feels like. It'll probably be fun and exciting for a little while, but get a win. Yeah. You know, so I don't know. I it, we, it it's it's a wild time to be alive. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I think it's you know, when you look at the Pac 12, uh, you talk about a wild time to be alive. The amount of talented quarterbacks, I think, is ridiculous. I mean, we look at the inception of the of the Pac 12, whether you take it before Utah and Colorado came came aboard or after, is this really off the charts? And to me, and this might be oversimplifying it, it's really going to c- come down to the defenses because, to use your words, not to hate on anybody, USC did not have the greatest defense. Washington definitely did not have the greatest defense. O- Oregon's defense was really shaky. I mean, that Civil War game really you know sticks in everybody's mind. And then you got Utah who their defense returning, I believe, uh, eight starters, but Cam Rising, their quarterback is obviously a big question mark. 
Do you feel, Yogi, that maybe this season more than anything else, as crazy as an offensive firepower as those four teams that I just mentioned, and they're not the only four, obviously, but maybe the four that probably contend for the championship, I got to feel ultimately whatever defense can finally get over the hump that is 2022, that's the one that's going to win. I mean, Washington may score more points than USC on average, but if USC's defense, for example, can really take that step forward, I think they can be the champions. I mean, and same thing maybe a team like Oregon. Yeah, it's 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 the right theory. I'd throw a run game in the same vein, right? Um, especially with the clock rules. I think they're yeah. going to have an impact this year. I think they're going to help the Oregon States, the Utahs of the world, right? Even SC's run game is better than, you th- than I think a lot of people think, which is the style. I, I picked Washington to win the league. And the reason I did is I, I think that while their defense didn't look great against ASU and in the first half against UCLA, you know, they're third in the league in sacks, second in the league in yards per play, which we know is kind of like the metric, third in the league in total yards. Like they weren't that off <laughs> to me. SC was was bad at times, especially late in the season, kind of running out of gas. Um, but I, I'm with you. And and every time I have the debate, I have the schedule next to me, like literally right next to my desk, where I'm always looking at it because I think the schedule is going to be the, the, the determinant of who wins. It's when do you play somebody – who do you play before them? Who do you play after them? And all the things we can't predict, injuries, health, a D lineman, a DB, like little things to your point of defense. Cause you're right on that. I would agree with that. Like which defense can slow somebody down. And it's hard for me. And I was around both Bo Nix, uh, Michael Penix Jr. And Caleb Williams this summer at elite 11 or doing a feature on Bo up and open Eugene. And you're around all of them. And you just believe in them when you walk away. You know, it's Cam Rising, same deal. Like, you just, it's, you're like, what do I trust the most? And there's a part of it that's like, man, a game on the line. Caleb Williams is the best quarterback I've seen in my career. Like, if you give him a chance, he's just going to do it. And and you know the scheme is good enough. You know they're going to be able to move the ball. So part of me is like, God, I, I think offense might win. You know, and then I start studying it. So I went back to the CFP and I looked through all the champs and the teams that went. Teams that won. Pretty much the last decade, all had a quarterback that was like a baller. Mm. Right? So I say that of that's a good thing for this league because I we don't know who Alabama's quarterback is. We don't know who Georgia's quarterback is. And we know their names, but they're definitely not as proven as majority of the quarterbacks in this league. You'd say seven, maybe eight of them, nine of them, if you add Drew Pine to that mix in this league. So I it's it's gonna be a, it's gonna be amazing to watch because I do think that. Utah's defense is real. I really do. But are they going to be able to score enough? The most historic offense in the history of their program last year, ever, right? I think that goes dramatically unnoticed. But still, like the way and style in which you play, they play, you don't think USC. You don't think Oregon from a year ago. You don't think um, definitely Washington or Arizona from a year ago. I, I don't know, man. And this is what I do in my head all day long. Like you just bounce it back and forth. And when I look at like my predictions, I got a lot of teams with double digit wins, mm. which means if you have 10 wins, you got two losses. Yeah. And I hope it doesn't happen. I hope somebody can survive the gauntlet of this league and get to the champ game with one loss. Like we had, because that's the thing with the CFP, our league is not getting screwed by the CFP. Like I think we get, sometimes inappropriately voted in the weeks leading up and where teams are slotted. But when it comes to the top four, we've had Utah was on the verge. Oregon was on the verge. 
they just they beat each other right back to beers 2020 throw it out we've had teams every year in the dialogue right up until the end and either they lost a bad non-con game like san diego state and utah a couple years ago or utah last year but sc was right there you know so i think it's important to note that and maybe his history will say nine conference games did it in uh, but i think the talent of the league is just what doesn't get enough play or praise and you know, I, I hope this year with six, at least six teams starting the preseason top 25, that'll, that'll be different. Yeah. So you, you mentioned earlier that, uh, you know, I'm usually the first person to see at Sand Devil Stadium. Uh, just out of curiosity, you already know uh, which ASU games are going to call uh, this year. I, I, I don't. I, I won't have any of the first three. Um, okay. On Thursday night for the opener, I'll be doing studio. So I'll be in yeah. uh, our new studio in Northern California. So Friday for that. But got SC week zero and week one. And then week two, I go to UW. Week three, I have Oregon. That's all I know so far. Um, and I think, yeah, as I'm looking at ASU's games, um, FS1, FS1, back-to-back after the opener. So I, I, I imagine I won't have the SC game. Uh, I think Cal, Colorado, I get all all the remaining ones all have a chance. So I yeah. hope. I love calling ASU games. Uh, <laughs> it's a blast, man. It really is. And Kenny's so good with access. Uh, Coach Dillingham, so I, I can't wait to get out there. Yeah. And Yogi, for our listeners, um, aside from seeing you in the Pac-12, the Pac-12 network uh, each each week, uh, where else can they find your work? Yeah, well, it, what's fun about the the season is that, I, like, from now on, I, I just love throwing down. But what's fun is you get to talk about all the other stuff you did in the off season. Right to your to your question, so I just released a film called The Cape, which is really cool. You can check that on Amazon. It's a documentary about exploring all over the world with five people who uh, basically go sail the most dangerous sea in the world and openly talk about all their fears. The hook is, is that the sea is called Cape Horn, which is the tip of South America. And when I was eight, I read a journal about a guy who had sailed it and I became obsessed with it. And that guy is my great, great, great grandfather. Wow! I went down and I was like, I got to see it. So, so check that out. It's a good 45 minute preseason watch. It's like two bucks on Amazon Prime or whatever you got. And then, uh, then my book, Five Star QB has been really fun because uh, we talked about that last year. Um, that's been out and it's really cool to see it keep growing. Um just to learn about quarterbacks and what they're going through and what they have gone through and what their process has been like when they went through it and gaining advice from coaches all over the country. So I think, uh, I think your fan base would enjoy probably those two pieces of content heading mm-hmm. into the, to the month before the season starts. Absolutely. We all as always, it's been a blast. Uh, thank you so much uh, for joining the podcast. And uh, I guess one of these weeks, we don't know when uh, we'll see you at uh, Sun Devil stadium. So uh, thank you so much. I definitely look forward to uh, connecting again in person. Can't wait to see you, man. Appreciate the time per usual. And that'll do it for another episode of the Devil's Junkies podcast. I'd like to thank my guest, Pac-12 Network football analyst Yogi Roth. I thought he had incredible insight both on Arizona State as well as the conference as a whole. I hope everyone listening is going to keep it locked in on devilsdigest.com. Our fall camp coverage is just uh, days away. We have a lot of content that we already put on the front page in anticipation uh, to that, and there's going to be some more uh, articles to come. And as I said at the top of the podcast, July 31st, it it begins, and uh, we're going to be there with our practice reports, with our uh, video interviews, as well as features, talking to coaches, talking to players, and really identifying the early uh, storylines uh, for the Sun Devils as they prepare for the 2023 season. Uh, needless to say, we're also going to be there up in the pines near Payson and Camp Tonizona, session uh, does take place. 
So as you can imagine, busy, busy time of year. And if you're not already a premium subscriber of Devil's Digest, would love to have you as part of my community. Just go to our website, devilsdigest.com, click on the subscribe button, and you will make sure that you do not miss one iota of the plethora of content that will be coming your way in the weeks and months to come. Thanks again for tuning in. Try to enjoy and stay cool in these last few days without Sun Devil football. And we will talk to you down the road.